This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 116 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I have one hell of a treat for you. I am talking to Brian Meeks all about how to write killer book descriptions. Now, this episode is considerably longer than normal. I would have trimmed it and cut it, but I really feel that you guys are going to gain so much from this episode. So I hope that you manage to make it all the way through to the end. We we have a discussion initially about uh, NFTs and what he does and how they work and how you can work them. It's a short discussion, I have to say. But then we we dive into uh, lots of different arenas and Brian is a master storyteller. He, he, he explains things with stories and it's fantastic. But then, in talking and discussing writing killer book descriptions, Brian <laughs> asks to see my book descriptions. And well, it is possibly the most savage episode ever and you really cannot miss it. It was hilarious. I will just caveat and say that uh, the blurb that he looks at is the blurb for Keepers which is my first ever fiction book that I published and I think I wrote one blurb and didn't do an awful lot of um, edits on it and uh, I haven't changed it since. So it's a fun ride. But first to last week's question, which was, what has been your favourite book of the year? Kerry Hardisky said, great episode, time management is a constant struggle. Uh, my favourite 2021 book was Pumpkin by Julie Murphy. I listened to the audiobook, Plus Size and LGBT Representation. It's a companion, companion to Dumplin', which was made into a Netflix movie a couple of years ago and is just as sweet. Candy Wilder said, the most compelling book I read this year was Ashes by Iona Whalen. Oh, that's lovely. She was in um, one of the uh, uh, group uh, promos that I did. I did one with Jenna Moresi, Caitlin Duncan, Helen Scheurer, uh, Daniel Wilcox and Iona Whalen. So yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. Uh, Candy continues to say, A Spell of Rowans by Bird Nash came in a close second. Herman Sturenagel said, my favourite book that I read this year was The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by Victoria Schwab. I love that book too. Um, Michael Nasberg said, really enjoyed this week's episode. I did have a mini heart attack when Robin said to watch your language and momentarily thought she meant Sasha should cut out all those bad words. <laughs> Thankfully, that wasn't what she meant. This year, I dived into Becky Chambers' sublime speculative fiction, including 2021's A Psalm for the Wild Built, which was touching and beautifully written. I also devoured Project Hail Mary, the newest super science-y space adventure from Andy Ware. It technically came out last year, but I read uh, recently read Chuck Pal Palachnik's Polonix, consider this, that his phenomenal part memoir, Parkcraft Guide. He's such a deep thinker on the subject of writing technique and his life experiences make for compelling reading, even for non-writers. Highly recommended. So just on the Project Hail Mary, that just won a good Goodreads Choice Award. So um, yeah, anyway, 
Matt Goodall said, favourite fiction of 21, The Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip Williams, a beautiful retelling of uh, the creation of the Oxford Dictionary and many of the women involved in it and behind the scenes. Favourite non-fiction of 21, This Is Not How It Ends by Yehan Kassineda, um, a beautiful and honest look at depression from a journalist who went through it himself. Last, S.W. Miller says, I can't give you one, so I'm rebelling against that nonsense. High Fantasy Goes to a Lair of Bones by Helen Scheurer. Yeah, it fucking does. Uh, Urban Fantasy Goes to Unchained by uh, Shane Silvers. Uh, Thriller Goes to the Mechanic by Tom Fowler. And Nonfiction Has to Be Rest by Alex Sujung Kim Pang. Hint, hint, Sasha. I have no fucking idea what you are trying to insinuate. This week's question is, what are your plans for the festive season? The book recommendation of the week this week is Not My Problem by Kiara Smythe. I think it's Smythe, maybe it's Smith, I'm not sure. Um, this is a young adult uh, LGBT book. No surprises there, I'm reading loads of those at the moment. Uh, it is with a lesbian protagonist and it is the fucking funniest book I have read possibly all year. It was hilarious, the banter was fantastic, it was a real feel-good story. I wasn't wild about the ending, um, but it didn't matter because the rest of the book was just so good and um, I I thought the characters were unique, full of depth, the, uh, the book was also fantastic with dialogue, so I think I'm going to go back and sort of skim through and have a look at some of the dialogue just to look at how uh, the author has done that because I think there could be lots of lessons learned from that. So in personal update, um, I think when I recorded this last, I probably hadn't finished, finished, finished. Well, I'd finished Trey, but then uh, Thank You Brain had come up with a few extra things that I needed to add in. So I spent all of Monday working on that, sort of bashed out another four and a bit thousand words uh, to add to it. So the fucking book ended up at just shy of 120k, which was kind of what I felt like it would. And um, once my uh, critique partner has a look, then uh, perhaps there'll be a little bit extra added. It's really hard. Um, I feel so many different emotions about the book. Um, look, I mean, you know, I've talked about this for a long time on, on the show that I have mixed feelings. Um, I really like the series for what it is, which is just a guilt-free, easy read, young adult sort of fantasy story. But also I learned a lot about magic and world building and um, <laughs> how not to write yourself in into corners and I'm okay with that like I'm really proud of what the story is I reread both the first and second book were there things that I thought I could change yeah am I gonna change them no so yeah I'm really really happy that the book is done a uh, little bit frustrated I think my inner competition and achiever is frustrated that um, I can't make the book you know the best book it could possibly be but um, I'm okay with that because it's good enough it's a cracking story I'm really proud of it and I'm just really excited to move on and uh, work on new projects that are more tuned and more aligned with my voice next year. So um, for the rest of this week I have been working on the anthology, the Rebel Diaries anthology edits, um, finishing off some freelance stuff uh, to make sure that I can have a break next uh, over Christmas. So to do and to finish before uh, I break up for Christmas I have got to finish a critique partner uh, read, I've got to uh, finish the anthology edits and get those back to the authors, I've got to finish editing Sirens um, and just polish off some of the freelance stuff as well so 
<laughs> still quite a lot to do before um, Friday the 17th. I may have to get my mum to look after the little kiddo uh, for the first day or two of the holidays just to make sure I really truly can switch off over Christmas. And of course, I still need to finish Christmas shopping. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably like my roundup. Um, it's been the end of the year, so I've been doing like a bit of a, a review of how the year has gone and looking at the financials and stuff. So yeah, I, I might talk about that maybe more if I manage to do a review of the year. I don't know if I will get the chance to do that, but uh, certainly at the end of the tax year, which is when I uh, will hit three years full time, I will definitely do a review then. Um, okay, so Rebel of the Week this week is Robin Phillips. Now, I am going to give a warning. There are very few things that don't get discussed on this podcast. I, you know, I'm sure you'll all recall when we have had mentions of big vaginas and fisting and all kinds of stuff on this show. However, I don't think I've ever dropped a C-bomb. So, given that this story contains one, I, in fact, more than one, I am, in fact, more, quite a few of them, I'm going to have to uh, give a warning that uh, I'm gonna be dropping a C-bomb or three. All right, so Robin says, when I was 21, I worked behind a bar in a working men's club. One Saturday, we were very busy and I heard a bloke in the queue say, if this lazy cunt, i.e. me, ever serves me. I couldn't go any faster. I was literally pulling two pints at the time. When he got to the front of the queue, I ignored him and served the person behind me. When I ignored him a second time, he asked me if I was ever going to serve him. No, I said, you called me a cunt, I'm not serving you. When it got to the point of him shouting that he'd come behind the bar to beat me up, the manager came over and asked what was going on. The bloke shouted that he couldn't get served. The manager looked at me with a disbelieving expression and I said, he called me a cunt, I'm not serving him, you can serve him if you want. I was fully prepared to walk out there then, but the manager served him and never said another word about it. Too bloody right. How dare he call you that? How dare he treat you like that? I'm very glad that your manager had your back and um, didn't demand that you served that, uh, you know, waste of space, shall we say. Seabong. <laughs> right, okay, Rebel. Uh, no, no, we've just done Rebel of the Week. <laughs> oh, you can tell it's almost Christmas. If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your stories. I know that you guys love this uh, bit of the show just as much as me. And we are always like juggling just a handful, just enough to keep going. We sort of cycle them and uh, try and keep enough. But yeah, it would be lovely to collect like a big chunk of stories. I know we've only got a few left. So please do send in your stories. They can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or something in between. You can email your rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, actually, I think that is the best best place to do it you can instagram me at sasha black author but uh i would send it to becca on rebel author podcast at gmail.com thank you very much to matty dalrymple uh, who upped her pledge this week and has joined the rebel slack group if you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes as well as a ton of bonus content then you can from as little as two dollars a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash sasha black i think i'm gonna leave it there i didn't want to do too long of an intro this week because it is a whopper of an episode so please enjoy please stick around to the end because it is fabulous
Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by Brian Meeks. Brian is an author and an artist. He's written 19 fiction titles and six non-fiction titles and creates pieces of NFT art every day. Hello and welcome. Well thank you, it's great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. So, like, first of all, before we dive into all of the questions, talk to me about the NFT art. NFTs are like very new and exciting and racy. And uh, yeah, so tell me all about uh, all about what, what you're doing there. Well, I will give sort of a brief overview. The NFT world exploded in the last year when a gentleman named, well, I, his I don't know his real name. His his handle is Beeple, B-E-E-P-L-E. And this is an artist who for 5,000 days prior to October of last year, so 13 months ago, had been creating art every day. And he had built up a little bit of a following, but he had never sold his art for more, any of his pieces for more than $100. And NFT, it stands for non-fungible token. What that means is that you can have a digital piece of art and make it unique. The NFT, the token attached to it, makes it something that is tangible that can be transferred. So as an example that I think everyone will understand is if I send you a JPEG of me with a puppy, and I have a really cute one of me with a puppy, and you think it's adorable, you can send it to your friend. And she can look at the picture and have a JPEG of me and the puppy, but you still have a JPEG of me and the puppy. And with an NFT though, if I sent you an NFT of me and a puppy and you sent it to your friend, you can't make copies of it. So you would no longer have the, the picture of me and the puppy your friend would have it. So it's transferable. Another way to think about it, because I assume most of your listeners are authors, is that in 2020, there were $18.2 billion worth of eBooks sold worldwide. Let me ask you this. What is the resale value of those $18.2 billion worth of books? Well... Without the blockchain, there are no micropayments and re resales. So I don't know. I, I hear zero. a fact. That, that, yeah. that, that, that's exactly right. It's zero. Yeah. And so the with an NFT, and I've actually begun a startup to pursue creating the T-book, which is transferable, which would then allow your customers to choose. They could simply buy the e-book from Amazon or Barnes & Noble. I iBooks, wherever they prefer, or hopefully within the next year or so, they'll be able to buy the T-books from my company and the, they'll be the same price. The only difference will be the author will make a little more, more money coming from me. And if a person then sold your book on later on a secondary market, sort of a half price books. That's a chain we have here in the United States where you can sell your paperbacks. If they sold your ebook, your T-book, you would make a little bit every time it gets sold in the future. And so that's kind of an overview of what an NFT is. And to finish the Beeple story, 
So 13 months ago in October, he started selling NFTs. In March, so six, five to six months later, at Christie's auction house, his piece entitled 5,000 Days, which was a JPEG uh, collage of JPEGs of all the stuff he had done over the 13 years prior, it sold at auction for $69 million. And that is when people started going nuts. And so the, this is something that I do a little bit of. Admittedly, the last three or four weeks since this startup has begun, I've got a wonderful developer and this woman who is brilliant is my COO. I've done less of that, but the idea is you can create art and sell it. And the owner has an original piece that can he or she can then transfer and sell and, or display digitally. There are companies making frames. So it's, it's an exciting world. That being said, there are literally millions of people jumping into this space. So there are far more artists and pieces of art than there are people to buy them at this point. Mm, uh, yeah, and I think there's there's <laughs> this could be a whole podcast episode because um, yeah. I, I'm connected to the Alliance of Independent Authors and there's a few people uh, connected to Ally who are really interested in NFTs and what's going on and like Dan Holloway who does the news reports on NFTs and stuff quite regularly and I um, do a lot of the editing well, I, for that. I, so. I would be happy to do another po another podcast with you where we talk about NFTs. I could show you some of mine. We could talk about the blockchain, crypto and all, because it really is a conversation that could be an entire show. So if you want to yeah, do that, we that, can that, do that. That would be very interesting, actually, because I am fascinated by that. So yeah, I'll, I'll message you offline about that. But Perfect. today, <laughs> we are going to talk about book descriptions, which Boys is handy. And girls, that's what we call a teaser for the next episode. <laughs> Right, come back, darlings. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, so would you like to, uh, before we dive into that, would you like to tell everyone kind of a little bit about you and I guess your like writing journey? How did you get to where you are today? It began January 2nd, 2010. I was bored. It was still holiday and there was a football game that kicked off in a few hours that I was sort of waiting on because I was excited about the game. I didn't have anything to do. So you know what? I was surfing around the World Wide Web and I just ran across this site called Blogger. Now, I did not like writing. In fact, my eighth grade English teacher had beat any possible love of writing I could have out of me. She was a terrible woman. But I was bored. And a funny thing had happened to me the day before. So I decided to write a blog post and I did. And it was a story about the foibles of teaching myself woodworking. There's an old adage, measure twice, cut once. Everybody knows that. Well, I wrote a piece about measure twice, cut once because I proved conclusively that if you're measuring while watching college football, <laughs> <laughs> the results may vary because on that day, September 2nd, 2000, not September, January 2nd, 2010, 
When I got up, I measured the legs to my workbench. I was new to woodworking, and the first thing woodworkers build is a workbench because it's it's right angles, it's four legs, you do a shelf, you do a vise on there. You get to do a lot of the very basic things you need to start. And when you're done, you have this place that will make it easier for future woodworking projects. So all woodworkers kind of start with a workbench. And my workbench had four legs of different lengths. Three of them were wrong. Only one did I get right. So I had to go buy more four by fours and this was the post. And so I, I wrote it and I put it up on Blogger and still had time. So I went, just, I'm just goofing around and I find this forum called Lumberjocks. Well, Lumberjocks was a place where men and women who liked woodworking hung out and they were of all different skills, but the ones who posted the most were these fabulous woodworkers, people doing you know, Georgian reproduction furniture where they're buying lumber that's been dredged up from a river that is period correct so that if you DNA tested, it would say that it's you know, 300 years old or you know, whatever the Georgian furniture period was. I mean, just crazy insane stuff. So I'm reading these posts. I'm just, wow. Well, I decided that it's getting close to my football game and I will forget where this place is, so I better sign up. So I do. Do, 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 do. And as soon as I do, and I confirm it, a new button comes up. And you know what the button said? It said blog. Well, I had already blogged. So I went back to Blogger. I got my post about woodworking. I cut and pasted it there, hit post, and went off to watch my football game. At this point, I still hate writing. I came back the next day because I wanted to read more about woodworking and my inbox was full. People commenting on the post, 300 people had read it, 25 people had left messages. This is the funniest thing I've read on this site. I've been here five years. I love it. I can't wait for your next post. Hilarious. And all of a sudden it's amazing how, well, that external validation feels quite nice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll write another post. <laughs> oh, I, started, I, <laughs> I started blogging on that day and I wrote a post every day until January 29th when I didn't do anything with woodworking. And on that day, I all I had done was purchase a Bausch one and a quarter horsepower router. And that didn't make for a good post. So I decided to be creative. I wrote the first chapter of a noir mystery titled the Henry Wood Detective Agency. Now, I never intended to write a chapter two, but I wrote this whole chapter about Henry Wood and this, this beautiful dame coming to his office. And it was January 1st, 1955. And she had this case for him. And there was this, I put a MacGuffin in there. And the MacGuffin was that he had this closet in, in his house in Brooklyn. He, he, his office was in Manhattan and he had some, this closet that would give him presence from the future. He didn't understand how it worked. But on this particular day, he had gotten a Bausch one and a quarter horsepower router. So the the, I, the, the whole chapter was this buildup just to let my readers know that, oh, because I've been talking about these different routers and I didn't know which one to buy. And I was very poor at the time. So I had saved up my money and and it was, I put a ton of thought into it. And so the, the punchline was I went with the Bausch router and I wrote this whole <laughs> chapter just to say that. And they loved it. Well, we love it. 
And so that was, that was the beginning of the writing. And so I continued to write woodworking posts on, and whenever I didn't have anything about woodworking, I would add a chapter to the book. I finished my first novel in September of that year. By the time I published it, I had written four novels in the series. And so that was sort of the beginning. And you know, now I, I do this full time, though admittedly, I haven't written much since the pandemic. I mostly do copywriting for authors where I write descriptions because I charge $150 a pop. I live in a house that's paid for, so I don't have very many expenses. And when I moved back from Las Vegas, April of 2020, I just kind of, I missed being around all the people and I think I got a little depressed. And so I haven't really done any writing. I, I need to get back to it. I've, I've written a few chapters of a new project in the last two months. And so it's, it's something I miss, but writing like anything is for me, I don't know about everybody else, but for me, it's doing it daily. And when I get into a rhythm of doing it every day, that's when I enjoy it the most. And that's when I start to write a lot of books. In 2019, I wrote five novels in five months. And so, it, because I was in that rhythm. And so that was a very long answer to where I came from, but that's, that's kind of my journey. I've written 25 books and I, you know, I, I haven't had a, a regular job in five, six years. And so this is, this is what I do. No, I love it. There are so many things. I don't know. Have you heard of Becca Syme? Do you know Becca Syme? Well, I, I know Becca. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know her. I met her mom first. And uh, Chris, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Have Chris, you done... Chris, Chris and I go way back. And then shortly after I met Chris, because they both were in my Mastering Amazon ads group early on, like maybe the first week. Have you taken the Clifton Strengths? No. Ah, see, when you were talking, um, you mentioned about doing it daily and that one of because that's what Becca does most of her courses on and I am like a huge Becca fan and um yeah you, oh god she has changed my life like like it. no word of a lie mm -hmm. she has revolutionized my life and my writing career um uh, anyway consistency is one of the strengths uh and and it's what you were saying sounded like consistency whereas I'm on the other end of the scale <laughs> Uh -huh. And so I Phoenix burn. So like I go through very intense periods of like, Brah! and then I crash and burn. And, uh -huh. um, but it's an intentional crash and burn because um, like this week, I just hit that deadline that I mentioned yeah, and yeah. I was like exhausted and everyone was like, wow, you're like glowing. And I'm like, really? I feel like a butthole, but thanks. <laughs> but it's like, cause I like generated all of this, like, positive I don't know like completion yeah. energy and anyway so um I'm actually planning in next year to do ridiculous bursts of very intensive work followed by time off followed by oh. ridiculous intensive bursts of work followed by time off because I think I actually work better like that but yeah like anyway it, it's, well, it's funny. I, I think I think you made an incredibly important point well two points one is Becca is great so anybody listening go check her stuff out because she really is has built a business that makes authors' lives better. So that yeah. I, I can't recommend her enough. The the second point is know thyself. Right, and exactly. My my personality is such 
that if I get consistency where I do something every day, I really like streaks. I love yes. numbers. <laughs> I, I walked, I've, I've lost a bit of weight because I put it on from the pandemic. So I, I was at 192 when I left Las Vegas and then I gained up to 217 pounds. And I, I don't know what that is in stone. Uh, I, uh, but uh, I don't know how many of you are off your reader, your listeners would, would want to know what that is in stone. What, how, how many pounds is in a stone? 14, kilo, 14 pounds in a stone. Okay. So mm -hmm. I can do that. I can do that math. Let, let's, let's just, I, I, now I want to, because <laughs> I, I love all things BBC and you know, the mysteries and so forth. They always talk about stones. So let's see, 217 divided by 14 is so 15 and a half stone. It pleases me to know that. And it was just because I, I was, when in Vegas, I was walking every day and I was healthy. I was eating better. I came home. I just sat at my computer and I was bored. And I watched a lot of Netflix and played speed chess. So the weight came on. Well, I lost a little bit of it, but then I was down around 204, 05, something like that. So I'd lost some, half of it maybe. And then in May, late May or June of this year, I started walking 30,000 steps a day. And I did that every day for 140 days till I blew out my knee and playing basketball with young people. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm 54, but I have delusions of 21. And so uh, the, the thing is, not to digress, but Love I'm this going chat to. so much. We haven't so, even talked about uh, we, 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 we may not get to descriptions or, or even really the book. Who cares? <laughs> the thing is, when I was doing my steps, 30,000 steps a day is about a four and a half hour time commitment. And I would do it whether if I was talking to a client on the phone, I would walk, I would pace back and forth. I would go for long walks here in town. I would go to the gym and walk around the track. But I would also shoot baskets. I like to start each time at the gym with 15 minutes, sometimes an hour of just shooting free throws because I enjoyed it. Now I have never been a great basketball player, but doing it every day for 140 days, it's amazing how much I improved because I, I just messed around with basketball previously. I'd never done it consistently. And I went from shooting 30% free throws to 80. And I developed a left-handed dribble. I became comfortable with the ball in a way that I'd never been. And so now at age 54, five weeks ago, me and this other old guy are playing against young people at the gym. They're like 14 years old, which is a, <laughs> a disgustingly healthy age. And I, I had twice with a mean crossover dribble gone to my left and laid it in. I'm right-handed. And so, I mean... I was, if I did the crossover to the right, I blew past him right-handed, but then because I'm right-handed, they didn't expect I could go to my left as well because I'm old and I did <laughs> and I laid it in and then they switched up and put the taller kid on me and came the head fake, crossover dribble, boom to the left, going, got to lay it in left-handed without even using my right hand. And of course you jump off your right leg when you do that. My knee buckled, I went down, I had to be helped to my car. My ex-girlfriend brought me a cane the next day because I, I couldn't walk without it. Oh and gosh. so it, it was bad, but it was not an ACL tear. I think it was just a strain because I iced it yes, I for lucky. several days. 
and now it's recovered. I played pickleball last night. I'm back to the healthy thing. But the point of this story was for 140 days, I was committed to four and a half hours of exercise a day. I lost the weight. I have not felt this great. And, and I, I put a little bit of it back on. I got down to 185, then went back to 197 because I wasn't exercising. And now three days ago, I've started again and I'm down to 195 and it's coming off easier. So it, it's this whole process. But the point was, I'm all about the streaks. And so once I get dedicated to the, to the streak and my, my energy improved, I, I was doing, it was amazing. I was taking four and a half hours out of my day to do this thing. During that time, I was listening to podcasts and educational things. So it was a productive time. But then as soon as I was done or when I was not exercising, I was being productive and my productivity on all the things I'm working on since June has gone through the roof. So you would think if you added four and a half hours of something to your day, you would do less of the other stuff, but I wasn't doing the other stuff. I was just doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, that motivation to do that one thing, and it was most important client work came second. I had to get the steps when I got them done or was on pace, then I could do the other things. And it has changed my mental attitude. Physically, I feel better. People who watch, I, I do a lot of these interviews, my, my face, I've lost weight and it's amazing. So for me, I'm very much a streak person. I like consistency and uh, that's, so the, the word different, you yeah. gotta know yourself. You do. Absolutely. And it's funny because you were talking about productivity since realizing that I work better like this. I am vastly more productive. <laughs> and isn't it crazy? I just love that we all oh, have it, these it, different processes because I it's funny you were saying about like the learning and stuff like that's what I do in, when I crash and burn. I then like engorge myself with like information and books and knowledge and podcasts and all of the stuff I just input 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 whilst I'm resting and then I just like vomit it back out on the page well that's brilliant because prior to Becca's course you didn't know that about yourself no And, and so the value is I am sure that your little voice when you were at those times where you had you had just finished a burn cycle and now you needed to recuperate but your little voice didn't know that's who you were Mm. was saying things to you you should be working you should be writing and and so you were probably trying to push through the recovery time doing things which was horribly inefficient because you weren't recovering and you weren't good at your your task because you needed that downtime and so mm. under I mean I, this is just a hypothesis but understanding how you are is just like for me when I start a project I know that if I get a streak going I will keep with it I can't do things where I do it five days a week. It has to be every single day because once I break it, it takes a long time it's for me to get back in the street. It's yeah. the inertia. Yeah, yes. yeah. And so yeah. I know that about myself. And my dad said, wow, 30,000, that's 13 miles a day. That's hard on your body. What if you took a day off every, I said, dad, I just can't. That's not how I do it. I have to exercise every day. And so right now I'm, I'm lifting now with lifting you don't do it every day because you do need rest days just that's just the way it works but 
I can still be exercising. So I now have my exercise includes lifting weights and I'm now four, four days into doing that every day. And so I'm back on a new streak. Well, I, I know some listeners who have high consistency and I'm sure they are going to be very appreciative of this chat, but we are here. Finally. We, should, we should talk about descriptions. <laughs> yeah, we should. We should talk about descriptions. Um, so, okay, from, you are an expert at book descriptions and book blurbs. And, and so in your opinion, what actually makes a good book description? The first, first and foremost is tell the reader almost nothing about the book <laughs> okay that was not what i was expecting to start with brilliant okay well th- th- this this is the number one area where authors go wrong is that they want to write a synopsis of what happens in the book and i want you to think about that so you've got a potential reader they've come they've just read your synopsis of the book Let's say they're they're a romance reader. Well, first off, romance, the romance writing community has very specific, depending on the subgenre, very specific tropes. And that's fine. We all know that the male protagonist is good looking. (laughs) There aren't any dad bod (laughs) romance series that those just aren't a thing. And so... The, oh, I've just got the giggles. This is fantastic. You're so right, <laughs> but I just never thought about it that way. It's, it's, uh, I mean, we don't know that dad bod wouldn't be a great subgenre. <laughs> I bet there's a niche, a king there, for there, dad bods. There, there could be a niche. It's just no one has written it yet. Someone out there listening may write the, the dad bod billionaire. <laughs> oh, God, someone please write that. But... Write the dad bod billionaire. Uh, that, oh, uh, that, that kind of made me laugh. <laughs> um the the point is in romance the there are there are rules the the guy cannot cheat ever on 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 the girl the the there has to be a point at which the guy leaves the girl but it's not because of her it's because oh he there's something wrong with him and he doesn't think he's right for so so there's all these tropes so so there's only for each subgenre one story i mean there there's just there's all the rules and you have to follow the the script, but the beauty is that each of the characters, and that's why romance readers love the books, is that yes, it's the same script that happens over and over again, but the characters are different people, and they they solve their problems and they get to the happily ever after in different ways, and they have different personalities and they have different needs, and they have all this subtle fabric that makes them interesting and the readers consume five of these a week and so they're reading the same story for all intents and purposes over and over again but they're fascinated about how this author gets from point a to point b and what we learn about the characters and the witty dialogue and and all that and so it's the point being is you don't want to give away all of the the stuff in the book in the blurb because well then why read the book what you want to do is hint at what might happen and so you you maybe mention a trope a little bit but you're just trying to get them the reader interested enough that they will buy the book and so the point is we are 
trying, and I go with this through with my clients, they always, not always, a lot of times they think, oh, but we didn't mention this, this, this. Correct. We didn't mention any of those characters. We only mentioned two characters. We told a little bit about them. But you know what? This, this blurb is going to make them want to read the book. You don't need to tell them anything about the book. My best description for Henry Wood Detective Agency is, well, can I, can I read it to the yeah, readers? Please let me, do. Just, yeah. let me just bring it up on Amazon really quickly. And this is a great example. I should have it memorized. I almost do. Uh, okay, let me go there and we'll grab it. Okay, so I'm just going to read it from the top. Henry knew one thing, dot, dot, dot. Dames were trouble. Would this client be the exception? She walked in, sat down, crossed her legs, and asked for a light. Boy, could she cross a leg. <laughs> Before the woman had told him why she needed a detective, Henry wondered if she was playing him. It was something about her. The red lips and smoldering eyes were just a little too perfect. She knew how to get her way. And the dress, dot, dot, dot. She wore a Dior dress that would make an hourglass self-conscious. <laughs> was it the damsel in distress act? This was the second one he had seen this week. Something wasn't adding up. 1955 was going to be an interesting year. You're, you'll love this noir mystery with a twist because everyone loves a broken detective trying to do what's right. Get it now. Oh, that I love the trope there at the end. That description converts it one in eight. And at no point do I mention anything about the book. In fact, this th that scene is only tangentially really in the book. I mean, there, there is that woman there and it, it happens, but not exactly like that. And that's not a big deal because people aren't going to remember the minutia of the description when they're reading the book. So you don't need to get it 100% accurate either. You just need to get the, Essence. you just need to get them to buy the book. That's, that's yeah. the whole point. And so tell them as little as possible is the overarching theme. Now, beyond that, we need hooks. And those are the first three lines. Henry knew one thing, dot, dot, dot. Then there's a blank line. And then there's the next line. Dames were trouble, period. So in the first three lines, I have seven words, a lot of white space. And then the last line is, would this client be the exception? Question mark. A total of 13 words above the read more. That's it. Understand that the goal of the words before read more are just to get them to open the description and continue. Because if you don't get them to open the description, they're not going to buy the book. So we're getting them to click read more. Once we do that, the description needs to look lightweight. You need short paragraphs. You need little hooks that link them up. And admittedly, this description is one that is about four years old now, I have towards the end, four short lines in a row. I would never do that. That's too many because visually that creates a, a, a block of text and we're trying to avoid that. But I leave it here because, well, I mean, it does convert it one and eight, but it's, it's a great example. And so another component of description is the weight. It should be lightweight. There should be short paragraphs, the paragraphs themselves, maybe two and a half lines when they're on Amazon. The, you shouldn't have two of them next to each other because that creates like 
five lines in a giant block of text. And I want everyone to think about Facebook. Do you use Facebook? Well, I mean, obviously we've been talking on Facebook, so I know the answer, but I want everybody to think about Facebook. When you see a post from your friend and she just got a new puppy and it's adorable and there's 15 lines in a single block of text about her buying the puppy, did you read the 15 lines? No, you didn't. <laughs> So you know what? Are they going to read the 15 lines in your blurb? Are they going to read seven lines in a giant block of text? No, because everybody, the whole world is on social media and social media has destroyed our attention spans. They, the potential readers, ironically are looking for a product where they're going to sit alone and consume it uninterrupted with all their focus on the words in the page for two hours, sit back, relax, just reading their book, The Dad Bod Adventures. And they're, they're gonna be completely focused. That's not where they're at when they're shopping. When they're shopping, they're like, love, click, scroll, move on, click an ad, look at it briefly, no, click the next one, bop, 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 bop. So you have to, present something that says, hey, this doesn't look hard to read. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to just give it a read. And that's how you get them. The reason almost all descriptions, frankly, kind of suck is that they're heavy. They just don't look like something people want to read. And that's why a full price book, and I mean like $4.99, converts at one in 30. And my descriptions convert it one in eight to one in 10. If you're paying 50 cents a click for a one in 30 description, you're spending $15 to get a new reader. Well, your series better be eight, 10 books or you're not going to be profitable. But you know what? If you spend eight clicks at 50 cents, that's $4. Now, a three-book series could be profitable. It absolutely matters. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. No, it absolutely makes sense. And I really like how, um, like, out of the box the, the blurb was that you read. Um, like, I don't know. I, I think I have been very stuck in, like, I don't know, pre-prior expectations or just... Well, understand that... You know, people go and they look at the successful authors. And overwhelmingly, the successful authors have descriptions that are horrible. Mm. They have gotten to the point where they're making $100,000 a month despite their description, not because of it. And so the, or is it in spite? I'm never sure if it's despite or in spite. Somebody's going to have to, I'm going to have to look those words up and, and mm. figure out the, the correct usage. But let me, let me read another one, if I may. This one I, I, I literally wrote yesterday. So the, you know, are, 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 am I able to share the screen? Can I show people what? Um, I tend to only use the audio. It's, 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 okay, it's okay, then I will just read it. The beating was severe, dot, dot, dot. But he survived because he had to know one thing. Was Wendy still alive? Those are the three lines above the fold. 
Alex was in bad shape, just a sight of death, lying in a dumpster, but he couldn't give up. Crawling out of the garbage, the first thing he noticed beyond the pain was that V was gone. He had only one option to keep going. Out to the streets, out to the street he walked. So that that line, out to the street he walked, was its own line. So I had a little paragraph, a blank line, out to the street he walked. Now another paragraph. All around there was only otherworldly destruction of burned out cars, broken windows, and empty streets. Houston had fallen further into chaos, brimming with violence and a population at each other's throats. That's a paragraph, blank line. When Alex and Ranger find their old friends, dot, dot, dot. Next line, dot, 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 which is a misuse of the ellipse. I misuse the ellipse all the time. I'm fine with that. It works. You rebel. I am. <laughs> when Alex and Ranger find their old friends, dot, 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 they got a bit of news about Wendy. And then he collapsed. Oh. Wendy almost made it out, but the skinheads tracked her down and now she was in a room alone and sure of only one thing. They planned to sell her to Vargas. She can't let that happen. Will she get another chance to free herself? Would she ever see Alex again? You'll love this fifth book in this post-apocalyptic survival thriller because Alex and Wendy are the type of heroes with grit who keep us turning the pages. Get it now. There, there's there's almost nothing in there about what goes on in the story. But yeah. I've created a thing where you want to find out what goes on in the story. And so that's that's the difference. And it's done in a very light way. Of course, this is audio, so we can't can't show them the light way, but trust me, it's lightweight. What what are kind of the key elements of a good description? Is there a structure or a format that you yeah. follow? Is it yeah, like what is what is that structure? The, I always start out with the three short hooks, and typically, ninety eight percent of the time, the third line is a question because it's very hard for humans to stop reading on a question. Mm -hmm. it, it just it's not in our nature. Was Wendy still alive? Question mark. That's the point at which they are asked to hit read more. Nobody's going to give up with, is Wendy still alive? So they have to hit read more. So I have the short lines. Now, these lines are trying to build intrigue too. I don't just list facts. I see authors who have read my book and they just say, you know, a golden knife, a purple gun, and the body of a middle-aged balding man, you know, to stick with the dad bod theme. The, <laughs> the thing is that those aren't really hooks. The, those, are, those are facts and they're just listing facts doesn't make for intrigue. I mean, it could, you know, you pick the right fact, but it's not as strong as trying to structure something that is building up to a point where you have to click read more. So that's the opening bit. Then I talk about the protagonist who is the same gender as the readership, the majority of the readership. So for instance, in romance where the readers are overwhelmingly female, 95% of them, I wanna start with the female protagonist because I'm trying to connect with the reader. And so as she's looking for her book, we want to mention Susie because that's going to be the person that she's going to be reading the book and identifying with. So we start with Susie, then we have 
a, a couple hooks or connectors. And then we talk about Broderick or whoever, because they also, <laughs> has there ever been a romance novel where uh, the, the, the ripped protagonist was named Brian? <laughs> no. Steel, <laughs> silver, <laughs> rake. And then she looked into Brian's eyes. No. Oh, no. Nice. Brian, Brian the Billionaire is not a romance series. That just, no, no, nobody wants to date Brian. Uh, the, 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 the idea, though, is, I mean, I'm very specifically doing it in that order because, well, I'm a data guy and it converts better. I've done them where we're talking about the ripped guy first and they just don't do as well. I mean, the, you have the boy and the girl in the story or the two girls, you know, depending on whatever the, uh, you know, whatever the niche is, or, you know, if it's like reverse harem, I mean, whatever the, the makeup is of the protagonist, you pick the gender of the person that's going to be reading it and lead with that. And so that's an important component because people are connecting and I have actual data about writing gender specific copy from a test I did on Facebook. And so I, I think this is informative. I set up eight landing pages and this was to give away my space opera. I was running ads on Facebook and all I wanted to do was give them a free copy of book one to get them on my list. That's what we're doing. So the first bit of copy I wrote was generic. I ran the ads, but I targeted the ads such that there were eight of them. Four of them were to women, and they were each divided into age groups. Four of them were to men, each divided into age groups. So I knew that if I gave away a free book on landing page A, not only did I have that woman's email address, I knew her gender and her age range. So I was getting more information from Facebook than they were giving me because of the way I set it up. I ran the ad. To give away a copy of the book took nine clicks. So I had to pay for nine clicks. It didn't matter if it was men or women. I then used proper copywriting and it went down to seven clicks. So I improved. I was paying for fewer clicks to give away a copy of the book. And it didn't matter if it was men or women. Then, and this was the point of the test, I wanted to write gender specific copy and see if it converted better. I wanted to speak to the, the woman or the man that I was writing to. So I did. In the first one, I wrote something along the lines of Christian Nash was a badass space fighter pilot caught in a tough situation. Sasha, or, and he thinks he's the hero. Sasha thought that was adorable. It's her job to keep him alive. Okay. Oh, 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 okay. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Oh, I am, okay. I am okay. all in. Okay, so then in, in that was that was for the women. Yeah, and of course. The, and, and then for the men, it was all, <laughs> he, he's a badass. We didn't mention Sasha was more of a badass. Okay, yeah. so so here's what's important. The, the conversion rate for the women went down to one in three. So now I only had to pay for three clicks to get a woman to try this. For the men, on three of the four, it went down to one in 3.5. So almost as good. 
there was one of the four men landing pages where I took the female centric copy and I used it. So knowing one in nine, one in seven, one in three and 3.5, now there's one landing page that had 62 clicks, men getting the female centric copy. Out of 62 clicks, knowing what you know about the previous test, how many copies did I give away? What, what is your guess? None or one? None, not a yeah. single one. Zero for 62. That's insane. So, I mean, if that isn't illustrated, illustrative of the power of copywriting, the importance of understanding who's reading your copy, because a little thing like knowing that my readers are mostly male in military science fiction, that we start with the male character is important. Knowing that in reverse harem, it's 95% women reading it, we start with the female character. It's a little thing, but it makes a huge difference in conversion rate and we're paying for clicks. So yeah. does, does that make sense? Oh, that I, I think that is such a phenomenal example. And I love that you have data to back it up. And also I well, love I'm that I nerd. had, yeah, I, well, yeah, I, yeah I, well, I, I, well, we'll get to that in a second. I am, um, I love that I live reactioned as well. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Your reaction was perfect. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Oh, and I had no idea you were going to say that, but I was like, I am so in with that. Like that is a badass chick. Like I'm, I'm well, down it, with it, that. It's called the Magellan Apocalypse, and the, I think it's called the Magellan Apocalypse, you know, that's, for, for people that are new to writing books, one thing that you don't expect, the Magellan Apocalypse. Is to forget your own book titles. Okay, that, that, that is, that is the correct title, <laughs> the Magellan Apocalypse, uh, the first book is, um, map runners and so available on uh oh it's gotten some oh i haven't looked at it in years and it's gotten a couple one star reviews that's down to 3.7 that's my lowest rated book that makes me sad oh well the other your blood's amazing so my blood's amazing but no <laughs> what a bummer that, that, oh, it, it, it's got a really bad. good I, I i had i hadn't looked at that in years um but it's okay i don't care that much uh the the, the, the point is, it every aspect of a description that I write matters. And I think through the way words sound, there's a thing that people do often, and I even do it sometimes accidentally, is echoing, where you're using the same word multiple times. And that sounds bad. So in the example I read of Henry Wood, I wrote, you'll love this thing because everyone loves I wouldn't do that now. I would say you'll adore this thing or you'll love this book because everyone adores. So I wouldn't use love twice because that's echoing. Mm -hmm. And But I leave it in there because it, it was my first real description that was a huge breakthrough as far as going from, well, originally they were all one in 30. Then I went to one in 12. Then when I wrote, wrote that one, it went from one in 12 to one in eight, which doesn't seem like, 
a big deal, but it does when you're paying for clicks. It does when you're paying for clicks. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm just going to um, add in here because we are talking a lot about like um, proof paying for clicks and all of this stuff. Brian has also written an amazing book on AMS ads, mastering Amazon. That's correct. Mastering, mastering Amazon ads, yeah. which I would mention is a little dated. It well, came that's out in 2017. Yeah, so that's actually how I came to to discover you was through that book, um, and I read that and and I got my nonfiction I think down to like one in eight I think it is I do like oh, about well, one in eight now yeah um, one in between one in eight and one in eleven they sort of hover at um, but I have never mastered fiction once. However, I am doing something different next year and I think it will be considerably easier for me to. Uh, target and get better working can, can, MSS. Can you give us the title of one of your fiction books that you have not mastered? Um, <laughs> but oh, you, you know where I'm going with this. You <laughs> know where we're going with I this. I so do. This is, I need a title. We're, this is, people are listening. They okay. expect it now. Well, You're committed. Um, okay. Um, so uh, it's probably called... book one. Yeah, Keepers is the first one, but and obviously Sasha Black, you'll have to put Sasha Black in because Keepers is such a common book title, mistake one. Um, but you know, I was young and I wrote the book and this I'm Keepers, I'm I feel Eden sweaty. East novels book one. Yeah, I feel this is uncomfortable right now. It, it, it's, it's gonna be uncomfortable because oh, well. I, I I I am I'm not afraid to uh, to criticize the the lovely host who has had me on her show. So wow. but first of all, I gotta say. Oh my, uh, the, the cover is fantastic. Thank Love. you. Your cover you. artist needs to be given a, a hug or or, yeah. or more money. I don't know how much you pay, but that, that, <laughs> that is, that's a brilliant piece of cover art. People don't understand that I, I'm not a cover artist. I, I, I do contemporary graphic design for my art, but cover art is its own thing. So one can be a brilliant artist, but not understand the subtleties of what makes a great cover. And this one, the because of the way that he or she has done the the font, the letters, that it's got a little bit of depth to it. There's very subtle things as far as lighting on the letters that makes it not flat. Mm-hmm. Then the the centerpiece is this round. Uh, so it's disc. it's. It's a symbol of, of for the elements. I actually oh. had the symbols on the book covers illustrated first. So my mom is an artist and I was oh. like, hey mom, here's my really shitty stick man circle symbol. Can you uh. make it good? And so well, she your did. your mom is good. No, then, it, 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 well, it's brilliant. And then what we did is we gave the this guy these sort of really, you know, pencil, pen and ink things. And he then digitized them and gave me these options and we got to where we are. And I had a very specific vision for what I wanted for the covers. So yeah, okay, he was good. amazing. Well, okay. So now let's let's talk about the description. Oh. First off, let's talk about the price. It's $3.99. Why is it $3.99? Um, because it just came off a 99 cents promo. Okay, so why isn't it full price at four ninety nine? Um, I'm sweating. <laughs> you should be because you, for three ninety nine is wrong. Okay, let, let, let me explain to the, the your listeners why. Mm-hmm. They understand some of you have you ever had an economics course, like a, a basic econ one hundred one sort of thing? No. Okay, for those listening that have, they will recognize the term elast- 
elasticity of demand. I have a degree in economics, so I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole, but understand that there are two types of demand. For instance, one of the most common examples used in teaching econ is for elasticity of demand is the price of petrol. If one gas station lowers it by 5p and then everybody goes to that one. And so people or, or you know, if the price drops just a little bit at one gas station versus another, it, it greatly increases the demand. Everybody goes there and, and, and you sell enormous amounts of, of gasoline or petrol. That's elastic demand. Books are the other type of demand, which is a polar opposite, inelastic. And what that means is if, as an example, you have a book priced at $4.99, we make about $3.50. If you were to sell 100 books at $4.99 times $3.50, that would be $350. Now, an economist would ask the question, if you drop the price to $3.99, now you're only making $2.80, give or take. If you sell 100 books, you make $280. So the demand when you go from $4.99 down to $3.99 needs to increase by enough that you cover that $70 gap. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So you've got this $70 gap going from $4.99 down to $3.99. The problem is because books are priced inelastic, meaning consumers don't care. $3.99 and $4.99 are the same. $2.99 and $4.99 are the same. They're going to Starbucks. They're buying uh, you know, a double mocha cafe grande with caramel and hints of cinnamon for $6.99 every single day. They don't care. So the point is you sell 100 books at $4.99. At $3.99, maybe you sell 101. Maybe you sell 100 but you don't sell enough to make up the gap because people don't care. The point being is you will make more money at $4.99. You will have about the same sales. And for those people that are in Kindle Unlimited, you also have perceived value where a $4.99 book is perceived to be a better book than $3.99. And so that's the point. All of your books, full price should be $4.99 and it maybe should be $5.99. So the, uh, anyway, th that's, does that make sense? The logic behind that? Yeah, it does. And I think <clears throat> the second one is $4.99. I have a feeling the second one's $4.99. I don't know. I am, um, I, I have had a bit of a whirlwind with fiction and it's taken me a very long time to finish the last book, which was the book that I just finished. I mentioned earlier on, uh, well, and I now have a novella as well. So it's finished and eventually next year I will start promoting the series properly okay. i've done nothing uh, okay very good so now let's talk about the description so okay. you get points for starting with what if your enemy was your soulmate okay that that's that's a hook that, that that's a real hook here's the problem the last line is well i'm just going to read it what if your enemy was your soulmate 17 year old eden east okay why do we give her last name i don't know you know, well, I'm, I'm just saying that we don't need to know the character's last name 95% of the time. S sometimes 
if it's a great last name or I mean, sometimes there's reasons where I will include the last name, but it's very rare. It's just an extra word that we don't know. 17 year old Eden lives in a world ruled by fate and the heir to the ruling. Okay, so we just had the word ruled and then we use the word ruling. So that's echoing and the heir to the ruling elementals. Her fate is bound. Okay, so ruled by fate, her fate. So this is just we're in an echo chamber, is bound to the assiduous son of the enemies, the shifters. Unwilling to accept her destiny, Eden rebels, unearthed and unearthed dark secrets. Then, 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 oh my, oh, this is, I have, I have no, I, 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 I have to take a moment and just take a knee here. <sighs> then, Trey Lucelli appears, a blue-eyed siren who seems strangely familiar. The more he tries to ignore him, the more they are the more they are. That's, that's the point at where it ends. That's not a hook. The more they are. That's is it, that the it, read more? That's where we get to the read more. The point ah. is you, you ended in the middle of a sentence. So not only are there close to 1 million words over the fold that nobody's going to read, it's got echoing. <laughs> I'm dying of laughter. This, I, this I is, would just is, like to say, I don't think I've ever changed this blurb. And this book is, I don't know, like maybe four years old. So this well, is like four it's not years. Too late. So, so then, so then you continue. <laughs> this is just a synopsis. It's just, okay, this happens just as the web of lies begins to unravel. That Ian's parents have really murdered. Because he is all connected. He must wear. Oh my God. <laughs> but the path to answer is fraught with it. It's like, that, uh, perhaps the secrets are better left than buried. So, okay, great. You've just told us the whole book. I don't really need to read it now. Keepers will transport fans of the Red Queen, the Young Elites, and the Grish, I don't know, uh, to a world unlike any other. Read now and lose yourself in a captivating world of intrigue, love, and betrayal. And then readers' favorite things. You, you, you didn't, th this is bad on so many levels. This is a one in 30 converting description. And it's just, it's, I mean, it, it, it needs to be fixed. Now, the, the, the thing is, we've talked a lot about this stuff and hopefully you will give it a try. If you want, you can pay me to do it. I'm very good at this. But understand that you're going to be selling your books for another 50 years, another 100 years, another 200 years. The advances in, in technology as far as extending human life so that it will be both better and longer we might live another 300 years and live another 300 years in bodies that are maintained at the yeah, i'm 54 i expect to live to 300 and for the next 290 of those years be sort of what one imagines a 70 year old being because there is biotech that is working on that sort of thing the point being is your descriptions have to be done in such a way that they give the best chance of getting a reader every time somebody comes to this, whether it's a paid click or just organically. Maybe somebody sees your book that's a, and also bought on somebody else's book. But for four years, most of the readers, well, it's, it's most of the readers in, in all cases, because even one in 10 90% of the readers are still saying no, but one in 30, it's 96.6. You know, well, that's that difference 
is massive. And so this needs to be fixed. And I, and I, I assume all of your books are like this, where you're trying to tell the reader what's in the book. Yeah, the fiction ones are, but nonfiction blabs are very different anyway. They're solving a problem for the reader and that I can, yes. I can do that. I know how to non, do that. I just can't do it for fiction. <laughs> well, that, it's, it's hard. And for listeners, understand that if a listener out there is imagining, oh, I've got six books in my series, I'm going to rewrite all the descriptions. Learning copywriting comes fairly quickly. It's a skill that when you start out, if you don't have any idea of what you should be doing, it's very hard. It, it's not something you can necessarily fumble your way into. But if you've just listened to a wonderful podcast where the host has laid out a game plan and you try that, your first try is going to be probably a lot better than what you currently have. But when you finish the sixth book, if you go back and look at book one, just in the time of doing six of them, you will have improved enough to redo book one and make it better still. It, it happens very quickly just by doing it. Another thing is I always recommend that people try to do proper copywriting everywhere. So if you read my posts on Facebook, they're all proper copywriting. In our chats, back and forth using Messenger, you didn't notice it, but I was using blank lines. I was using proper copywriting because it makes it easier for the consumer to read. I'm always putting in the blank lines. I'm always using short lines and the, the slightly bigger paragraphs. I do that with everything. If I am co communicating with a reader of mine, I'm using proper copywriting because I've just made it easier for him to consume. So now think about your email list. Every time you send out a blast, are you sending out these big heavy blocks paragraphs where the person's opening it and they're like, oh my God, what did Sasha send me this time? Look at that paragraph. It's unwieldy. How am I going to get through this? And so they don't read it. But if you send them lightweight things with maybe 75 words, not that many, they open it up and say, like, oh, look. It's another blast from Sasha. I love her stuff. It's so easy to read. And they read it. And so it improves your open rate. It improves your conversion rate because it's copywriting. It, it, you should be doing it all the time. And so for those out there that don't know this, on Facebook or almost any social media platform, Twitter, pretty much all of them, if you hold down the shift key, so let's say you've just written Henry knew one thing, dot, dot, dot. Hold down shift, hit enter twice. That puts in a blank line, dot, dot, dot. Dames were trouble, period. Now, I want to go back to that hook. There's more going on there than just short. One is that Henry knew one thing. Okay, that's, well, what's the one thing? You got, your eyes have to go to the next line to find out what the one thing is because nobody's going to stop. Henry knew one thing. Oh, interesting. Well, hmm. no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to let my eyes see what that next line is because I'm not curious. Everybody's curious. They want to know the one thing. And then they see dames were trouble. Well, what does that tell us? It tells us it's not a contemporary novel. Nobody uses the word dames. So it has to be something that took place in the past. The cover is Art Deco. 
So it hints at the period. So they understand immediately that this is not a modern day detective story. Just from the word Danes. So you can do a lot with very little words if you think about how, how people are going to digest them. And so, again, shift, enter, enter. If you're doing a tweet, enter, enter. When I am replying to YouTube videos, I use proper copywriting. And on very big channels, like I've had uh, some of my replies. Uh, I think I have one on Gary V. Yeah, Gary V did a video on NFTs. And I wrote a reply using copywriting. And it is, if you search by relevancy, it's the top one. So imagine you're building an author brand because you are. I mean, that's why everybody's here. You're all building an author brand. Let's say you're hanging out on a YouTube channel that reviews books and you're a new author and you would love Miss Bookworm. I just made that up. That's not a real YouTube channel, though. Any of you listening who want to start Miss Bookworm, I am sure it would be successful. But you really want her to review your book. Well, you're not going to ask right out of the gate because that's kind of too aggressive. You want Miss Bookworm to know who you are. You want her to recognize Brian Meeks's face. And so I go in and I watch eight or 10 of her videos. I get a sense for what she's talking about when she does her book videos. I leave comments, but I do it in proper copywriting. And you know what? Miss Bookworm is going to notice that the one comment that keeps showing up and getting pushed to the top is by Brian Meeks. And then one day she gets an email from Brian Meeks. Well, I just wrote this young adult. It's got two giant guinea pigs in it. It's adorable. Could I talk you into listening to it or reading it or reading it? I don't have an audio version of it. And your chances go up. So copywriting can be used anywhere you're trying to have an impact. Does all that make sense? I've thrown a ton it, at you. It does. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I'm still trying to get over my mortification. <laughs> yeah, the, it's, it's, this, was, uh, this was a war crime. Lots of war crime. Oh, I'm it, completely it, aware. It, that's, why, that's why I was so reluctant to let you see it. Because I was like, oh, but, no. But, but oh, it's OK. Oh, no. Understand, I have author friends who make $100,000 every single month that have bad descriptions. Now, part of the thing with them is because they sell at such high volume, because they have these monster lists, because they launch a book and it lands on the New York Times list and USA Today every single launch, they get enormous amount of exposure and they get an enormous amount of organic traffic so it hides the fact that when you know, when a fan of this author sees there's a new book, they're not reading the description. It doesn't matter how bad it is because they bought the last 28 books by this author. They're going to buy the next 28. They're just going to it and clicking buy. They're not reading the description, so it doesn't matter. Where it matters and where these million-dollar authors are leaving $2 million on the table is that there's a lot of people that haven't heard of them. Mm. I could walk down the street and mention any one of my 20 friends who are making a million dollars a year to people and none of the people I mentioned them to have heard of any of my million dollar author friends. That's how big the market is. 
So if you're a million dollar author and you have a description that is not proper copywriting, yes, you're making $100,000 a month. You know what you're not making? 300,000 because of your description. It's that important. And that's why I go back to the advice, oh, go see how the successful people are doing is terrible advice because they don't care. I have one friend who I I told her, she says, "I, I don't care. I own the house of my dreams. My pets love it. I've got people optioning my books for movies. I'm I, I cranking out 14 of these novels a year. I spend less than 10% of what I take in just living because everything I've ever wanted, I already own. There's nothing else to buy. It just doesn't matter. And you know what? I don't want to rewrite them. I don't care. So you know what? That's a valid answer. Sometimes you're making more money than you need and you don't care and you don't need to be efficient. Wow. That's a very nice life they have. I am definitely going to be rewriting mine. <laughs> well, good. There you go. Um, so. Okay. So we are almost out of time. So I'm wondering if we can maybe do, I might throw a few rapid questions at you because I've got some questions from patrons. I will do my best to answer as quickly as I can. Okay. So um, question from Jeff. Uh, does bolding certain phrases and playing with the format and dropping uh, like a key catchphrase at the beginning really help? There's, I haven't found any data that bolding helps. I haven't found any data that bolding hurts. I tell all my clients, if you like it, do it, but do not use H2 or H3, which is bolding and increasing the font size. Those are headers in HTML. And what that does to your opening lines is it, because it messes with the spacing, your last line is going to get cut in half. So never use H2 and H3. You can use bold if you like it, but I have not been able to prove with data that it helps or hinders. So use it if you like it. Okay, perfect. Shane Miller says, should we or should we not mention comparison authors in our descriptions? I don't, but if it was done correctly, it's, it's hard because I, I know that the, the calls to action you'll love because absolutely works well. I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword. I try to avoid it just because you may get people that say, oh, really? If you love J.K. Rowling? Oh, that, that's, I'm not sure you're quite in her league. And my fear is that it can set a tone where they're going into it looking to prove you wrong, but maybe not. I, I don't have any data on it. So, so I can't say for sure if it works. It, it would be really hard to test. It would take a, a lot of volume to be able to draw a conclusion. So if you like it, and you're not going over the top, you know, like a JK Rowling sort of thing, it's probably just fine. Okay. Um, if you have two points of view in your novel, do you write a dual point of view blurb? You could, as long as you're not giving away too much information, but you don't need to. Just like there are lots of books that are written in first person, you do not write a description in first person. This is a mistake 
First person just doesn't convert as well as third person. You don't have to write it in the same, you know, first person versus third person. Always do your copywriting in third person. I tend to always do it in past tense. That is not a necessity. You can do it in present tense. You need to make sure that your tenses agree. But don't feel like you need to do it the same way as the book. Because remember, you're just trying to get them to read it. And once they finish the first page of the book, they won't remember anything about your description. Mm-hmm. So you're, there's only one goal. Get them to read the book. Do the description the way that best makes them intrigued to do that. Um, tropes. Should you include tropes in your blurb? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, that, that's, just, yes. <laughs> no, that, that, that's an easy one. Okay. Um, and last, but, but, by but well, I just want to say you don't need to include all of them. So in romance, you might have seven major tropes in your specific niche of romance. You don't need to pack them all in there. Just get two or three. It tells the reader that, okay, yes, this author understands the rules. They know my expectations, but yes, use, use some tropes. Okay, perfect. Um, and then in your book, you have a crap ton of examples from different genres, um, uh, of different blurbs in different genres. How would or how should an author approach researching good blurbs in their genre? Genre doesn't matter. If you know the tropes, and presuming you do because you wrote the book in that genre, so if you're writing romance, and, and you're writing romance without having ever read a romance novel, well, you're doomed, so, so don't do that. But if you're a romance reader who is writing her first romance novel and you've read 200 romance books and you know all the tropes, then you can craft a description. But there, there isn't anything that is really genre specific. Now, there's a difference between fiction and nonfiction, like we talked about. With nonfiction, you do probably at some point have bullet points Mm-hmm. But the rest holds. It's lightweight. It's hooks. It's you have to tell a little bit about the author, whereas you don't need to do that in fiction. But copywriting is copywriting, and it works whether it doesn't matter which genre it is. It doesn't matter fiction or nonfiction. It doesn't matter if you're trying to sell a lawnmower. It's it's hook them, get them to read and learn a tiny little bit about what's going on. And then ask them to buy the book. That's it across all genres. Okay, so uh, Lynn Reed says, and this is this is I've asked this one last on purpose. Are there book blurb services out there? What an interesting question. Well, <laughs> for one hundred and fifty dollars, I will write your blurb. You can reach out to me on Facebook. I. I, I wear this hat, so you can send me a friend request or send me a message. I should probably have a website. I don't. I, I actually keep pretty busy at writing descriptions, and so people reach out to me. In fact, as I was logging on to this podcast, a woman reached out to me, and I told her I would get back to her as soon as I was done with this. So just find me on Facebook, and I will write your description for $150. Amazing. Well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Wow. I <laughs> I think I think I'm kind of a rebel in in just using data. 
because understand that prior to the book Mastering Amazon Ads, the concept, well, I mean, I had talked about it for several years, but nobody in the industry calculated description conversion rate. It didn't exist. I've had conversations with Kevin J. Anderson, who is traditionally published. He writes in the Dune, Star Wars, and X-Files franchises. So he's a pretty big deal. He's had numerous New York Times bestsellers. And he's traditionally published 70, 80 books. So he's, he knows how the big five work. And we've had conversations. And I said, do they have data analysts? He said, no, they, they don't. Nobody in publishing had ever thought about conversion rate for descriptions. I brought that to the industry from my days with Geico, which is an auto insurance company here in America. And I was a data analyst. So I had brought a lot of the tools that I used to do data analytics in auto insurance to the book business. And that is sort of kind of a rebel thing because nobody ever thought to ask the question, how many clicks does it take to sell my book? But once you start asking that question, it changes everything because if you know it takes eight clicks before you've even written the book, you're going to spend $4 maybe because clicks are maybe 50 cents each. You also know historically what your read through is. You can calculate out about how much you're going to make on your eight book series before you've written word one of the first book because you have an understanding for the mechanics of the data. And so that's pretty rebellious in a world where indie authors, for the most part, hate math. I and really hate math. You are not alone. I had a woman who came to me when I was in Las Vegas. She had joined my group just the first day or first week back in February of 2017. And she is a middle grade book writer. Now, middle grade, I said, it doesn't matter which genre. That is maybe the exception that proves the rule. Middle grade, you have to write the description to simultaneously speak to the middle grader and the parent that's buying the book. So you need to keep both those factors in mind. So you do have to do it a little bit differently. The point is when she came to me, she was not making very much money at all. And when she visited Las Vegas, she said, I wanna take you to lunch. And I said, I love lunch. So we went and we got sushi and she told me about, she said, I've done this stuff. I've read your book. You, you've coached me a lot. It was great. I've done what you've told me. And I am six months into my fiscal year. I'm at $50,000 in sales. I'm on pace to do a hundred thousand prior to the stuff you taught me. I was doing 10,000 a year. So that's, you know, a 10 X increase by doing the stuff that we talked about. And she she wasn't necessarily a math phobe, but it wasn't something she thought about or really wanted to apply. She said, I, I did it. I, I, I did the math and it was worth it. And so it's the math that I'm talking about is fifth grade math. So everyone out there that's a math phobe, this is really the easy stuff where there's no calculus. But if you like your books enough to want to see them succeed, 
then do the basic math, learn what return on investment. Yeah, I just, oh, I hate, I, so I, I constantly run AMS ads on my nonfiction and I am one of these authors that will go in and I'll look at like the sales and I'll look at what the AMS dashboard says. And then I'll be like, how many clicks have I had? How many sales am I having? And I'll just get a sense for it. And no, I know I could, no, no, you, no, I know, no, I know, I know, I know that you were going to say this and it was going to give you like tremors. And, but yeah. this is, I just, I just, I just cannot, I just cannot. Like I am desperate. I'm trying desperately hard to convince my wife to do it because she's very analytical. She loves spreadsheets. My party trick is breaking spreadsheets. It is, it is my speciality. Well, I it, mean, how, how, how much? Okay, let me ask, uh, do you have children? I don't know if you have children. One child. One child, okay. The child's been injured. You go to the emergency room and you tell the doctor, I don't know what their blood type is. And the doctor's like, that's eh, fine. We'll, we'll just give them something. <laughs> uh, why are you so savage? This is like the most savage podcast ever. <laughs> It's, I mean, people describe books as their children. Do, do, you, do, you, do you not care what blood gets pumped into your child? It's, I mean, yeah. You, 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 so, so you want them to give them the correct blood type? You don't want to kill them right there while they're, while they're getting bandaged? That would be preferable. Okay, there you go. Well, then, then take the time to do the math. First off, don't use the AMS report to figure out your sales because it's wrong. No, no, I use my my dashboard, the oh, sales okay. dash so to, yeah. I, what I mean is I, I compare my, yeah, okay, what's good. coming in in KDP to what the dashboard is saying. Well, and it's all the dashboard, the AMS dashboard's always wrong. Yes, yes, so you are doing that correctly. It's just, it's a matter of, of just, if you spent, say, once a week for the next four weeks, this is, I think this would be all it would take for you to get over your hatred of this bit of math. I'm not asking you to love math theory. I'm not asking you to geek out over geometry proofs like Euler's circle, which is the coolest geometry proof ever. It takes 45 minutes. It's a straight, oh, it's so cool. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about sitting down and doing some very basic math. How many clicks, how many book sales, if the book you're, looking at is in KE, uh, is in Kendall Unlimited, you have to then take the number of page reads, divide by the KEMPC number. So you have total number of conversions for those out there that are in Kendall Unlimited and figure out the rate. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a one minute to two minute process that is very easy. And I'm asking you to take a snapshot of the last 30 days of your advertising once a week for four weeks and just do that. And by the fourth time you've done it, it, it's such easy stuff that you'll have it. And, and you'll be over that tiny bit of fear. Will you want to go back to school and learn calculus? No, but you don't need to because that's all you need to be successful is that little bit. And then you need to calculate lifetime value, which we can do a show on that. And I mean, th there, there's only a few things you need to be able to do math on. And if you get over just those, it's just like the blood. If you learn your child's blood type, that's fine. You don't need to know, you know how to perform surgery or anything. We're talking the, the barest minimum, but the difference between that bare minimum and not doing it is success versus failure. It's really that big a deal.
So, and I do have money. So, yeah. There you go. I've had so (laughs) many authors that have come to me and said, Oh, your, your book mastering Amazon ads made me cry. There were so many tears, but I went back through it a second time and I forced myself to do the math. And you know what? Turns out the math wasn't that hard. I just, as soon as I hear the M word, I freeze up. And that's the way I think most people who don't like math are, is they just, they just freeze up. Don't, don't let that happen. Try it out. Do it a few times. You'd be like, oh, you know what? Okay. Meeks is right. Well, the funny thing is I do check my ads weekly, if not more than once a week. I just, I just more. Just, well, I, I, I just get out an Excel sheet and just write oh, the numbers oh. in there. <laughs> yeah. But, but, I think I, I even I, downloaded your spreadsheet once upon a time, a long time um, ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, that can make people cry too. But the, the, the point is just you know, type the word clicks, type the word sales. If you have pages, type the word pages and then put in the numbers and at the top, put a date. I mean, that's it. I, I'm talking about- don't, get the, don't get the clicks per day from the AMS dash and then the sales from the KDP dash. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yes. That's oh, it. And then, and then a day. Fine, I'll do it. <laughs> it. It is not that hard. It's keeping, this is, this is the blood transfusion that keeps your child alive is understanding this stuff. Because if you don't know what it is and you rewrite your descriptions, well, how will you know if you've done them better? And you have to do it daily and not like, as in like well, the number of clicks I, per week and the sales per week or. Well, uh, yes and no. If you do it daily, What's interesting is as a species, we humans are great at pattern recognition. Mm. I don't have children, That's but I know that if a mother of three kids age eight to 12 on a Wednesday afternoon during the school year at 420, here's the house is quiet. That's not a good sign. No, it's not. It's really not. That's pattern (laughs) recognition. That's my children are doing something wrong. That's what that, that, but the point is we are very good at that. We, 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 in our lives, we develop this innate ability to understand patterns and danger and. Well, the interesting, that's how I read my, my sales dash. So I know when my set, when my AMS ads are dead, because the 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 sales kind of recognition yeah i get a certain amount i turn on some ads i get a certain amount more the ads die after a while and i'm like i need to do more ads now so like so so you're already you're already doing it the thing is it's fine-tuning so if if you just put them in the thing every day then you will see the patterns you'll just see them better so you'll, you'll take what you're already doing you'll see them better you will make more accurate decisions because think about this if you look at it weekly and say every sunday but the ads died on monday then you had six days of it of opportunity missed Mm -hmm. and so by having it every day you're seeing patterns now when you're calculating a conversion rate you should look at 30 days 60 days is better 90 is better than that if you keep this thing and you have data for two years, then you can do additional analysis you can't do with just 30 days that is helpful. But the point is, all it takes is putting it in that sheet every day. And then when you want to know conversion rate, just taking the last 30 days, summing them up, 
and doing that calculation. And that's the number that's important. So that the daily gets you pattern recognition, the monthly or quarterly or what have you gets you the answer because a description conversion rate doesn't really change. It's pretty much set. The it can change from day to day, but that's that's variance and that, that just happens. The problem is when I suppose when you have less, when you have less, when you can't attribute all of your sales to AMS ads. So well, I, yeah, so I have less clicks than sales, if that makes sense. So I know I have sales coming from other. Yes, and that absolutely happens. But understand that the, over time, the amount of organic is going to be in relation to the amount of paid stuff, yeah. always about the same. Yeah. So the fact that you're not getting an accurate number is okay because everything we do is pass fail. Mm. If you're calculating your return on investment and it's a 75% return on investment for your ads, you're going to spend more money because you spend a dollar, you get a dollar 75 back. You would do that all day long. But you know what? If it's 53 cents, the answer is still the same. If it's 200%, the answer is still the same. If it's minus 10%, the answer is you stop doing the ads. So everything is pass fail. Now, so you don't need precision in calculating ROI and profitability. You just need to understand that, yes, it is profitable. And the way I'm advertising on Amazon is this profitable. If I'm also doing Facebook ads, it's this profitable. Which one is more profitable? Okay, Facebook's more profitable. So let's do Facebook. Now, yeah, this is going down a whole other thing. We can do yeah. another hour on that. But, but understand what I mean by pass fail. Does that make sense? It does. And I do highly recommend that everybody go and read uh, the Mastering Amazon ads, even though it is from 2017, it gives so much information on like how to understand how to even approach ads and the kind of like stuff that you need to analyze and, and the mindset. Yes. And I definitely was a completely different, like, although I do do it more intuitively, I definitely base it off of your learnings, yeah. like your teachings in, in that well, book. And so one more thing, you. you can't analyze keywords. I could talk for two hours about the math of that, but it is impossible to get to draw conclusions, analyzing an individual keyword because there's not enough data. When people say, hey, if I see a keyword doesn't have any sales in the first 20 clicks, I kill it. Those people are wrong because a one in 10 converting description does not mean that every 10 clicks, you're going to get a conversion. It might mean you go zero for 30. And then from 30 through 35, you get three. Understand that. So don't kill keywords because they didn't have any sales. And I'm assuming that when you're making your keywords, you're not doing dumb things like writing middle grade fiction and using keywords for horror novels. I mean, that, that you're already in the ballpark. And if you're in the ballpark, I never even look at my keywords because unless an individual keyword has a statistically significant number of clicks, you can't draw any conclusions. So none of them ever get enough clicks to be able to make a decision. It could just be variance. And I know that everybody else that teaches Amazon ads preaches that unfortunately they're all wrong 
and what an amazing way to end we are way over time I'm so grateful I'm for you no I'm so grateful that you you've given us extra time I really really appreciate it you have been amazing this has Thank been you. such <laughs> a blast traumatic I won't lie yes there, there will be lingering scars <laughs> <laughs> but it has been fantastic um please tell everybody where they can find out more about you your services I know you kind of briefly mentioned it earlier um anything else that you would like to add well I have just a quick question do you have notes or something there yes. at the bottom of the podcast yes. could I create a link to my mastering descriptions course yes and, of course uh it's uh i i have i typically when i do podcasts give 60 percent off so it's 200 that would make it 80 dollars. i could create a sasha you know, rebel a rebel a rebel code that would save them and you could put that in the notes would that be okay i would be honored and you have your first sale right here perfect i will do that here i have I'll do it in the next hour and I will send it to you. Thank you so, so much for your time today. And of course, a giant thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to the absolutely fabulous Brian Meeks. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by C.R. Rowinson, and we talk all about how to build and create magic systems. And I have to say, I absolutely loved this discussion with him. We massively geeked out and uh, yeah, it was super fun. And he's given me a ton of ideas about uh, how how I can uh, improve my magic systems. So yeah, join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.